0: Alright, so before we even get started again, I want to open us up in prayer, and I would ask for you all to be praying for me tonight as well. Lord, I thank you for this day, uh, for your many awesome and wonderful blessings uh, that you have uh, so graciously poured out on us, Lord. Let us not take for granted the breath that you place within our lungs, because it is a gift and the heart that you allow to beat within our chest Lord that our heart would beat for you that our passions and desires would be for you Uh, Lord tonight um, Lord you are sovereign over all things Um, and that's not just tonight but uh, specifically tonight um, you are sovereign even in the laying out of this study Uh, Lord I thought we'd be done by now Um, And yet, here we are um, in the middle of chapter 8, and uh, I just find myself just wanting to kind of sit and rest. Here, there's so much hope in this chapter, um, as I hope has been made clear uh, throughout the study of this book. Um, For each of the uh, people who have come here tonight with us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts um move in each of us uh, in a way that we would uh be made useful for you. Um and, and specifically I pray over the sermon tonight that um that you would give me the words. Um Lord that you could be glorified uh not only in the sermon but um as well in the way that we handle differences, Lord, as believers, and differences in understanding. Uh, Lord, uh, I I just want, as I'm praying to you and and my uh, church is hearing me pray, I want them to know that uh, I am very aware of my shortcomings and and my inabilities. Um, I am very aware uh, that I can be wrong when it comes to my understanding of your word. Um, and I do not in any way, any way, shape, or form take this lightly, Lord. You know my heart better than I know my heart. And you know that when I say that my heart is for the truth of your word, for your church, so that they could grow, you know that that is um, absolutely 100% true. Um, so I just pray as we dig in tonight... Um, that you would just uh, reign in our thoughts, reign in our minds, Lord, as we kind of tonight focus on really the central part of the gospel, which is the resurrection and the hope that we as believers have in the resurrection. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would help me do justice to it. Uh, Lord, and, and whatever differences that we may have among us when it comes to different interpretations or understandings of your word, Lord, I wholeheartedly believe that all of us have a central hope fixed in Christ and Christ alone, Lord, and that we know truly that he has been raised from the dead never to die Again, and that in the end, no matter how the end may come to us, Lord, that we rest in You. And I pray as we wrestle with differences, Lord, I pray that I would never uh, be a, a preacher who would cower back from his understanding, Lord, um, of the Scripture. And I pray that we would always, as a church be not open to lies but open to shaping and molding and I pray that you never let lies come forth from my mouth. I would prefer to die here than to speak. I lie knowingly against you Lord so I pray that you would help me tonight as I pour out my heart and my understanding of your word in this particular in this particular passage or passages that we're going to cover and I pray that it would have um that it would have the impact that from Romans chapter 1, verse 1, pushing forward to this point. Now, 28 or so sermons in, Lord, you saw this day coming and you saw all the things that would uh, surround this day coming. And I want to rest in that. I just ask that you would help me do that. I ask that you would calm any nerves. Um, Lord, speak through me um, and let us as a church, uh, your church, let us be um, shaped and formed by the truth and a passion ultimately for you and knowing you and knowing you through the word that you have given us by which to know you. Lord, let us cherish you and let us cherish the truth that you have given to us in your words. In Christ's name, for his glory. Amen. Alright, so that um, may have been sufficient to build up in the prayer alone to... Warrant me asking you to pray for me. I may move to this side. We seem to be over here this afternoon. So I would ask all of you to be praying for me as I preach this sermon tonight. Um, there are going to be differences of opinion. Um, and I would, this, this is, this is, uh, one of those, one of those sermons that I would venture to guess that a large majority of you, at least up to the point that we walked into the service tonight, probably hold a particular view of what is known in Christian theology as eschatology, um, also known as end times theology, like the, the way that we see the end happening and occurring and the playing out of that throughout history right and and I would I would venture to guess and and I say this and I'm going to go ahead and put this out there knowing that it's quite possible it is absolutely quite possible that some of you after I say this if you know what I mean may just pff, turn it off okay so um Here's what I, here's what I want to tell you, and this is the the reason that I the reason that I tell you this, and the reason that I put this out there is I'm not trying to hide anything from you, and I'm not trying to slip anything past you, um, and I believe wholeheartedly that this is not a particular place in Scripture in which we make it a hill to die on, but I I I feel like I need to address it because in the way that I'm going to interpret a couple of passages of text tonight. You'll you'll see you'll see why I uh, up front have to say that probably for a large majority of you we're going to differ on opinion opinion, at least walking into the church tonight. So everybody listening, everybody awake, is Landon going to become a heretic tonight, right, like is this what, is this what's going down, like, so y'all are listening, <laughs> this is one thing, like as I stand up here nervous, this is one thing that I know, is that there ain't nobody, maybe I'm wrong, like is anybody, somebody's got narcolepsy, like fell asleep, no, everybody's awake tonight because you're like, oh snap, is this going to get up, punch Landon in the face for being a heretic, <laughs> is it going to be some scrapping, like we love that kind of thing, don't lie, you know you do. Alright, so here's what I want to say, and this is why I I, I want to be lighthearted in it. God's truth is, is, is we're going to all get to the end, and we all believe, uh, that ultimately we spend eternity with Christ, but I would venture to say that if not all of you, and well, I say not all of you because I know some, of your opinions on this because we've had conversations. So, um, but I would probably venture to say the large majority of you, when you, when you think of how the end draws near, it fits in a particular camp that is premillennial, right? And also pre-tribulation rapture, right? Do y'all, does everybody know what I mean when I talk about pre-tribulation rapture? This is that when the end comes, the church is removed prior to it. Okay? So, the first thing that I want to tell you is, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I will be the first, at least since I've been here, that will say that I don't hold to an understanding of the text that is according to a pre-tribulation rapture. Right? And I, I don't for multiple reasons, which I could if we were to sit down and discuss one-on-one, and that would be one of the settings that I would want anyone that we were to have these kind of differences, that would be one that we were to sit down and discuss, because these things are uh, nuanced, right? Like we hold to particular views, and we've gotten to particular views leading down certain paths, and the reason I say that probably the large majority of you, if not every single one of you, is that you've never been preached a sermon here that I have heard that has been anything, when it's dealing with the end times, that has not been pre-tribulation rapture. So for many of you, you probably don't even know that there are people who hold to a view other than pre-tribulation rapture, who see like the left-behind movie and think... I don't buy it based on my understanding of scripture. Like most of us probably look at the Left Behind and that would probably fit in. Can we be honest? Can I see what I'm up against tonight? If you were to look, now I'm not saying you base your theology off the Left Behind movie, but when you, but when you think about, yeah, the books or anything, but when you think about the end and how the end comes, right, how it plays out, how many of us have seen the movies, at least the old ones, Right, so I used to hold to a view that, that was very close to, to that. And I didn't, I had no clue that there was anything else. Like I've come to this particular view through personal study, dealing with some, my questions on particular passages of text. So I want to start there, right? Because we're going to be talking about the resurrection and the hope that we have in the resurrection. Right, so Kip, I want to address you first because I know the the sermon that came this morning. This and this is why I say, Lord, help even in the way that we address differences. Like I, I want, like here is what I want to here is what what I want to say, Kip, is that if there is any moment, any moment tonight, in which you feel that I have strayed, and you say, Landon, sit on down, I will not say a word. Right. Not say a word, right? I believe that God's placed you here, right? I believe that He's placed all of us here, and that we're all working, right? So the one thing that I want to that I want to say because there's going to and the reason I said this is there's a particular passage of text that we're going to kind of end with before we get into Romans tonight um, in First uh, Thessalonians um, that is going to uh, be from there's going to be. We're going to look at it differently than what we looked at it this morning. This is one that we covered if you were here this morning. So this is why I want to, I want to bring it up and make mention of it so that I'm not in any way trying to undermine. Like that's not, that's, that's why I say if we get there and you're like, sit down, like I'm showing up. Wednesday, and I'm showing up next Sunday, and I'm showing up the next. Right, like I want us to be. I want us to be in that kind of place as a church that 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 this is not one of those places that we die on this hill. Right, because ultimately, however it unravels in the end, eternity with Christ is our hope. Like that's so. I think as Christians, when and and that's why I'm I do it in such an open way among you. I think as Christians, um, there are certain hills that we die on. If one of you said that Christ was not raised from the Dead in body, like we got issues. We got issues. That's a hill to down, and we're going to see through scripture tonight. That's hill to down. Um, this particular one is not a hill to down, but I would as we as we kind of dig through this, and as you think about your hope in Christ, a couple of things kind of that that I think about and I wrestle with when I think about the end times, especially in the way that America views the end, right? Is I want us to think about this, is that church history shows us that the church has suffered and continues to today suffering, right? The church outside of America is persecuted in ways that we as Americans cannot fathom until it bursts forward on our Facebook feed and we see men having their heads separated from their bodies. And then for a moment we realize that it's not rosy everywhere else. And what I want us to get is that history of the church is that truth and not, and not that God will remove all of you from suffering. And, and, and as I look through church history, and I'm kind of leading up in this as, as to how some of the things that have led me into questioning these things, right? To questioning these understandings, and to coming to a particular, a different kind of understanding on this. And, and here's the thing, though we differ, I want to win you to this, right? So I'm going to preach tonight in a way that I want to win you to my side. Right, but we're not at war in this. Right, like I want, like at the end of the day, I want to convince Brother Kip. Like I, that's that's as we preach, we preach because we want hearts to change. Right, so our hearts is ultimately Kip and I's both is for the end you to be standing with Christ in glory. Like that's that's it. So and so as we do this, Kip preaches. How many of you've never been changed in your view? Because if Kip preaches and your view have never changed. Then either one, you knew everything. Or two, like, so we should be molding in our understanding towards truth, ultimately towards truth, right? So tonight, this is, this is a particular area, and I just wanted to put it out there before we get into the text at all. One, because wow, y'all are gonna be listening intently. Um, two, if anyone is ever gonna be scrutinous over my use of the text, right? You will be tonight. Um and ultimately at the end, like I want to know the truth about God, not my understanding of the truth about God. Right. So ultimately I, I pray that we all kind of push forward into that tonight. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Amen. Buckle up. I was kidding about the punch me in the face, please don't punch me in the face. <laughs> please, right? Turn the other cheek, man, I will. I'll do my best. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's going to be on YouTube for real. <laughs> so we won't go there because we all love Jesus, right? Alright, so we're going to be looking at the resurrection and the hope that we as believers have in the resurrection. And here's what I want to tell you, is that there's likely only one place, had I not mentioned that I don't hold to a pre-tribulation view of rapture, that you would have, probably many of you would have, right? You would have just missed it altogether because it would have been the end of like a two-hour sermon. I think I'm kidding. (laughs) So you probably probably would have missed it. So I want to point it out so that you can be thinking and looking for it as we get there. So we're going to cover a good deal of Scripture before we step into Romans. And I want us, because here's the thing. I've got my notebook up here. And I've I've written out at the very beginning of this sermon, I wrote out the books and kind of the the chronological ordering of the books, and we're going to be covering a couple of these books. And I wanted to point out before we get there, the time frame in which these books were written in relation to the Book of Romans. So we're going to be in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians was written somewhere around fifty-two to fifty-three A.D. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, which was written in 57 AD. We're going to be in Romans, which was written in 57 to 58. So, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians written, Romans written in the same time. So, what I want us to realize is there is a short span of time in which Paul writes Thessalonians, Corinthians, and Romans, right? So, in the ideas that we're going to be digging into in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians regarding his understanding of the resurrection and the hope that we as believers have in the resurrection, right? when we come into Romans chapter 8 and we look at, so we've been dealing last week, if you weren't here, with trials and tribulations, and Paul making this bold statement that the hope that we have, is so surpassing that when we step foot into glory, that the hope that we have will make us look at all the trials that we have faced and say, it's not worth comparing to this, right? It's not worth comparing to this. So I want to read as we, before we get into the text, go ahead if you want to, be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is where we're going to be starting. I took, and I want to say, first off, uh, was well, second or third or fourth or fifth off at this point because I've said quite a bit um, that I appreciate you all greatly, and uh, the feedback from last week when you were writing down um, the trials and just the tribulations that this life has brought to you are innumerable, and um, and and that in many ways is what uh, lights a fire in me for the truth that I want to pour out to you, uh, tonight. So I'm gonna read, and I've generalized these down tremendously, right? But I wanna read kind of a generic list. Y'all were detailed. Like I said, don't write theses last week. Many of you wrote theses. And I appreciate your honesty and sincerity and just being real. So here are, there's no specifics, there's no names, there's, there should be nothing in this. Anything that I mentioned, there were probably multiple, um, who had mentioned this um and in specific area i want us to talk about um and and that's going to help kind of push us into the hope that we have tonight so uh one major area death regarding children spouses parents siblings and grandchildren these are places if you're if you're here tonight with us for the first time or you weren't here last week um we were kind of dealing with uh, trials troubles tribulations these are generic lists of Kind of gathered from the church, uh, family problems, all types of family problems, um, not to exclude marriage problems and unbelieving family, health issues of many kinds, um, diseases, chronic pain, uh, loneliness. Betrayal, abandonment, regret. So I'm just giving you the, the, just the words that I kind of summarized it with regret. Past sin, unfulfilled dreams, financial problems, financial loss, gambling, self esteem, self image, depression, abuse, molestation, rape, bullying, drug abuse. Right? So these are things, these are areas that we as a church, Are dealing with. I'm going to read a couple of these out specifically because here's what I want the the hope that I want you to get that you're looking forward to is a hope that so great that when you step forward there, there every there's I exclude nothing on this list. Right? I exclude nothing on this list that when you step forward into glory and God shows you the, the, the beautiful work that He has been doing and how your life and every up and down plays into it, there is no doubt in my mind that there will be one believer there that says this was not what I signed up for. Right? This end is not worth all that I went through. So I want to read a couple of these that I feel are, um, very, um, These are, these tend to be things committed against us, which, which are the hardest things for us to wrestle with personally. And I want to, I want, so I've kind of, I'm going to mention these and ultimately I want to tell you that the gospel is greater. The hope that we have in Christ is greater. And though I don't feel that tonight we have time to cover all the depths of how God might work all these things together for good, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that He will work all these things together. And ultimately, when you ask me how, I say look to the cross, right? Right, it would take some sitting down with some of these issues to really work them out to completion. Like probably some Christian counseling would be needed in many of these cases. Um, but the ultimate truth that I want truth that I want us to know is that God is bigger, God is greater. The hope that we have in the gospel makes these realities in your life. Work out in such a way that when you stand in glory, I want you to know this and I want you to hold to this, that, that, that you will look at these things and you will see all that God is doing, has done, and you will rejoice in the God who uh, has brought you to himself. Right? So marriage, betrayal, abandonment, abuse, molestation, and rape. When I look at these, marriages wrecked. Hearts betrayed and abandoned. Physical abuse, verbal and emotional abuse, molestation as children, rape, and bullying. I want to say to you who have experienced these things that God did not simply ignore the sin committed against you do, do you understand that do you understand that that in the gospel we see that God is very serious with sin sin does not get passed over it gets dealt with so for all of us for all of us who have been hurt by others In these ways, what I want to tell you is that God sees, right? God sees, and he does not forget. Second to that, and this in many ways I believe supersedes. This is why we spent a couple of times, and you heard me as we were going through the justification part of the text, talking about God being both the just and the justifier. Right? He is both. He does not let sin go unpunished. This is why the cross must happen for any of us to step forward into glory. The cross must occur. Right? Must occur. Because God is just. Nothing goes unpunished. It is either punished eternally on the perpetrator in hell who continues in hell to sin and hate God. Or it is punished on Christ and the cross completely finished in what he does. And here's what I want to here's what I want to tell you. And when we think about these things, and these are personal, very personal and very deep. And I want I don't want to be one that's like, oh, I saw those hard ones, and I'm just gonna avoid those because those look like places we don't want to deal with. Here's here's what I want to tell you, and specifically to those who've been molested, raped, and abused physically and emotionally. I want you and it may take your lifetime for this to work out. You may not see the end of this until you step forward into eternity. And that's why the hope that you have is so great, right? But I want you to look at Christ on the cross. And this is why when I talk about the cross, I'm not talking about a Jesus strung up with the loincloth. I'm talking about a Jesus stripped naked, nailed to a cross in shame for you. And he looks down from the cross at the perpetrators and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want to ask you, if you have been affected in this way in your life, that you strive for that. And I want to be real, that the flesh is real. And these problems are hard within us. And it may be difficult for you to let go, but here's the hope that you have. When you step forward in glory, you will have a heart like the heart of Christ. And Christ's heart looked down from the cross and said, forgive them. And you will rejoice, because the heart that you have now the only way that it ever could is if the Holy Spirit works it out in you. In that, you will rejoice. That He takes out from us a heart of stone and places in us a heart of flesh. He gives us the heart of His Son for others, even those who would commit the most heinous of sins against us. Right? Right? So I want you, and and like I say, this is not magic pill, just think that truth and it's done. Wrestle with that, work in that, because when you step forward in glory and you see the Savior that said it without question for you on the cross, you will give glory to Him because He is something other than what we could ever be. right? So that's kind of dealing with some of the things that we touched on last week. Let's press forward in the text today. Alright, so we're going to be we're going to be fasting the Scriptures tonight, so I want you all to be with me. I gave it to Dennis so that Dennis could be ready to go. Alright, so we're dealing with the resurrection, we're dealing with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, dealing with the resurrection and how it's intricate, tied into the hope that we have as believers, right? And we've got a couple of places, so I want you all to follow with me, do your best to follow with me tonight. We're going to land in Romans and read it with the understanding that we get as we move there, right? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Just so going to start in verse 1. Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised the third day according, in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James... Then to the apostles, last of all as the one who is untimely born, he appeared also to me. So what I want us to get, this is 1 Corinthians, when did I say that this was written? Around 57 AD. The truth that Paul is preaching, the truth that Paul has always preached, is a bodily resurrected Savior. Right? All of this, again, keep in your mind, I want you to be thinking, how are we tying this into the hope that we have? Because that's where we're pushing to in Romans. How does a bodily resurrected Savior point us to the hope that we have? Right? So one thing that I want us to see time and time again is that Paul and the, the the apostles of the early church preached a savior that was raised in bodily form, right? A savior that you could Touch, right? Not a vision, not a spirit, right? A body that you could see came up from the grave. Somehow similar, somehow miraculously different. Perishable to imperishable. But we're going to see some things about the hope that we have in Christ. Because when we think about the hope that we have, we need to let that hope be fixed and centered in Christ. Right? Fixed and centered in Christ. You're not going to find me tonight going to Revelation. You're not going to find me tonight going into Isaiah. You're not going to find me going into Ezekiel. You're not going to find me going into Daniel. These are prophetic books. Right? Prophetic books. When we deal with prophetic books of Scripture, and this can be maybe a teaching point to you in some ways, as you approach prophetic books, the way that you interpret prophetic books is different from the way, say, you would interpret the end of the Gospels. Right? So, like, when you see, like, Daniel dreaming dreams, or when you see, like, John being called up to a mountain and seeing Jerusalem coming down, like, you see these vivid visions of the future. Here's what I want us to understand. Is that the very men who knew the book the best missed Christ on the cross. Right? So here's what I want us to take away from that is many of those books are very, very, very difficult for us to contend with. So, the approach that we should take, the approach in you and your personal study that you should take, and it's the approach that we're going to kind of be taking tonight, is that we interpret the more difficult passages by what's clear in the easier passages, right? And here's what I want to tell you. The Gospels and the early writings of Paul there's some difficult to contend with things, but as far as the the way in which you interpret them or way in you, which the context in which you determine what did Paul mean is a historical context, right? He's not making up things. He's not saying, I saw these strange things, right? When he makes mention of even seeing those things, he's like, guys, I'm 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 tempted just to not even. Right? Like, we see some places where he's like, I know a guy that was called up into the third heaven, right? Like, who was the guy? It was him. It was him, but he's like, cause he, cause the way that he's writing, the people that he's writing to, he's writing in a specific way. So the text that we're gonna be looking at tonight, All you would interpret the text in the same way. So the patterns that we start in one book will follow through with the other. If I were to jump to Isaiah, say Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter sixty-five, where we see a picture of new heavens or new earth, or say I were to jump into Revelation, the end of Revelation, where we see a picture of new heavens and new earth, we are not going to interpret those texts in the same way that we would interpret the end of the Gospels. That's what I want us to get to. So what I want us to see is as we branch, and I don't—that doesn't mean don't study those, right? I'm in no way telling you do study those. But get that those things are difficult. And they miss the Savior when the Savior was prophesied in those very books. So when you're reading Revelation, tell me that ain't a difficult book. Tell me that if I could pick for you the top five guys That I would look to and say, there's some wisdom in each of those guys and their teaching. And they've written books. They likely vary in very different ways when it comes to the interpretation of Revelation. Right? So me, in my understanding, what I want to base my understanding on of the end... And how it's gonna come is first and foremost what we see in the real life history of our Savior who really was bodily raised from the dead. Do y'all see where I'm going with this? Do y'all see how I'm kinda of trying to fit together my understanding of how all of this is gonna play out? It is fixed firmly in what I can see in Christ, right? And Paul here saying he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching of the resurrection. And he's saying, look, go ask these people, right? This is something people could touch, right? So this is a very historical kind of approach that he's taking here. Very evidential, right? Like, he's like, you could go ask these people. He's giving your names to people that are still alive at the writing of this book. Like, go ask them, right? Go ask them. So keep that in mind as we kind of press on. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and you, and your faith is in vain. So here's what I want us to get as we push through this, is that the bodily resurrection of Christ is central to all that we believe as Christians. Right? The resurrection of the dead is the hill to die on, right? If Christ be not raised, then my preaching to you is in vain. Is what Paul is saying in this text, verse fifteen. We are even found. um, Hold on, excuse me. Um, We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, so this is if Christ is not raised, right? So clearly He believes that He's raised from the dead uh, bodily at this point. So this is the argument that He's making: whom He did not raise, if uh, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So the question that He's wrestling with in Corinthians is is the idea of whose resurrection? He's bringing up Christ to make sense of our resurrection, right? So they're saying there's no resurrection. These people that died, they died in Christ. And, and he's saying, hold up a second. If there's no resurrection, if our hope is not in the resurrection, then what about Christ? Who was the first fruit of that? Right? So all our hope, your hope for eternity, and this is why I say things like, and as I've been preaching up through, I will say things like, your eternal hope is not that you would be a fluttery, ghosty spirit thing. Right? Because in many ways, when you think about that kind of eternity, it bores most of you to death. You don't want to be some Casper looking joker around the throne, right? Like that, it's like, it seems in some ways less than. When if we were to go back and we were to look in Genesis, the opening of Genesis, all that God does in creation, what does He say about it? Every single thing, the close of each day, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. What did God create? It was a good thing. And somehow, in many of our understandings of the end, we cast that off thinking that it is going to be some over spiritualized thing. And and what Paul's getting across here, trying to get, get across to us in this, is that your hope is not in that intermediate step, right? To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. But here's the hope that I want you to get. Is that when He comes in Thessalonians, where we're going to go, He brings the dead with Him to bring them to life. That's the hope that we have there. When Christ returns the first time, right? The second coming. Okay? I'm going to tell you it is not invisible. He's coming in power as the King who conquers. You will be raised to life. Real life. Not some over-spiritualized life that seems like something less than what you're living now. Right? Many of you think of glory and you think that somehow you will run out of things to find joy in. I'm going to tell you, you may sit through long-winded messages here, but it's going to be so worth it there, right? You're not going to be Caspers and pews being preached to by Casper Jesus because Jesus is in body. He's in body, raised to life in the resurrection. This is... Crazy, awesome stuff. For if the dead are not raised, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If our hope... Here's the thing. Get this. Get this. Here's what Paul's saying. If there's no resurrection, if there's no resurrection, follow me here. This is clear from this text. If there is no resurrection, then that intermediate state isn't even worth it. Right? That's That's what he's saying. Right? That's the stand in which he's making on a bodily resurrection here. Right? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep, those are those who are dead, those are those who are if believers are present with the Lord, have perished. If Christ, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here's, here's the resurrection. He is the first fruits of a harvest. You will be part of that harvest. Right? Christ is the first fruit. So in this, when I'm, again, I want to steer you back to what we're looking for in Romans. Why are we caring so much about what Christ looked like and us being a part of the same harvest as Him is because when we want to think about the hope we have, we look to Christ, right? What can we find about Christ that we can marvel at, that we can rejoice in, that we can find hope in? And all of it's pointing to He was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead, right? So keep that in mind. You will be raised from the dead and you will look like Christ. He is the first fruits of a harvest that those here that have fallen asleep are a part of. You, believers, when you fall asleep, will be a part of this harvest if you are here when He comes. You will not sleep, but you will be changed. And this is where we're pushing towards. This is where we're pushing towards. Here, so, verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. As or For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then at what? So which one? The next one. The next one. So your hope is in Christ's return. And you will be united with Him and you will usher Him into His kingdom. He is King. He is King. So we're going to skip down now to 35, verse 35 in that same chapter. And we're going we're to see this question raised in verse 35. But some will ask, how were the dead raised? What kind of body... Do they, with what kind of body do they come? So when you're thinking about this resurrection, you're thinking about what does it look like, we're going to dig into that here. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, Perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So he's gonna go in here and he's gonna show us different kinds of transitions and what I want you to take away from this is all these transitions, none of them are from a material world into some non-material existence. You were created with the body and always, apart from that little in-between stage, will you be in body, right? Your hope is for the resurrection. Are you following with me? Right, are we still on the same train right now? Right? All right, so let's let's push forward with these analogies that he's giving. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans and another kind for animals and another for birds and another for fish, and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one or the the glory Uh, of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. So I want us to look at this particular passage of text briefly. He says, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies. Now what could he be talking about here? Has he gotten to the spiritual bodies yet? No. Right? I'm going to say no, because look at 40, and then what does he follow up with quickly in 41? There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another, glory of the stars, for the stars differ from star in glory. So these heavenly bodies, stars, the universe, all of them differ in size, in kind, in glory. All of them are material things, right? All of them are real touchable. Well, you touch it, you probably burn up, right? You don't touch stars, Okay. But they're real things, right? They differ in kind or in degree here, but they are real things, right? Our hope is for something, for something real, right? So it is with so it is, verse 42, so, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body. What does he mean by natural? We're going to address this here. It is raised a spiritual body. So I want us to continue through. We're going to come back and look at natural body, spiritual body. Because some of you, when you see, when you see and hear spiritual, what do you think? You think, Casper, be real. How many of you, when you think spiritual, do you think Casper? Legitimately, you read the text and you say, that looks like a ghostly kind of deal to me. Gotcha there, London! You just pointed out, no, no, you live in what now? Romans chapter 8. The Spirit... And not in the flesh. So here's what I want to tell you. That the contrast between natural and spirit is not of the nature of the kind of thing. Whether natural and you can touch it and spiritual and it's ghostly. Right? But of the state by which it exists. It exists spiritually empowered and unhindered. Right? And this is why we bring in Adam into the equation here. Right? So so follow me on. Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being and the last Adam became a living spirit. He became a living spirit. Is this a true statement about Jesus? So what does Jesus say, I wonder about himself after he's raised from the dead? We're going to see. right? So I want you to keep in mind that Jesus... We see what the Scripture says about Him, right? So follow through, right? Life-giving Spirit. But it is not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So is this saying that Jesus does not have a body? Is this saying that He was not born of a virgin? What is it pointing out? It's an existence of the nature of Him, right? The nature of Him. And this is a contrast that Paul is making between the way that Adam lives and all those who come from Adam live and the way that Christ lives and all those that are in Christ will live. And you now are pushing forward to that hope, right? This is what we've already been covering in Romans. You are pushing forward to that hope. One day, raised in the resurrection, real physical bodies, you will be released from the sin that still holds tightly to you. Never to look back again. Right? This is the hope that we have in the resurrection. And as the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is with the man of heaven, so also are those who are, of, who are of heaven. Just as we have been, just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Right? So the hope that you have, and this is, again, I'm, I want to push your mind towards where we're going to land in Romans. What are you going to look like? What is your hope? It looks like Christ. I want you to get this. If you start phasing out from here to the end, I want you to get to this. Your hope looks like Christ. It doesn't look like dreams or visions that you can't make sense of here. It looks like Christ who He said, touch and feel me. Know that I'm real. Know that I'm not spirit. We're going to get there. We're not there yet. We're... Going there. I want us to see that. I want us to understand that we're pressing forward in that direction. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I want you to remember that as we look forward in a little bit to Luke chapter 24 verse 39, right? I want you to remember that, this idea of flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, because some of you might look at flesh and blood and be like, well, there you go again. Bones ain't gonna be there. Flesh, blood ain't gonna be there because it can't inherit it. Well, I'm going to ask you again. Some of you may want to go ahead and flip over if you're doubting me. in this. Flip over to Luke chapter 24, verse 39. And look at what Jesus said, says about himself. We're going, to, we're going to go there. We're going to press on. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must be put on, must put on imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable the mortal puts on uh, and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written listen to the saying that he says here death is swallowed up in victory o death where is your victory o death where is your staying? if your hope was found in that intermediate state then what what, who's singing this song? Who's singing the song like this, oh death, where is your victory? Ghostly existence doesn't sing that song because death got the last hurrah on you. But the hope that we have is in a resurrected savior. The hope that you have is in a resurrection. All our hope is fixed, central in the fact that Christ was raised in body from the grave. Death is swallowed up in victory, O oh, death, where is your sting, O oh, Death or, or death where is your victory, or death wheres your sting. The sting of death is sin. the power of sin is the law. but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want you to get, and we're going to look at a couple of different places in text, and I want you to get that the hope that he's giving here is to those who are laboring, right? Not to those who will escape having to do anything. Not to those who will escape persecution, right? Because if we're not going to have to concern ourselves with... Persecution, then we don't have to ready ourselves for persecution. And this, this is one of the central reasons that I do not hold to a pre-tribulation view. Right? Of the rapture being called up because if you're wrong in that theology and you find yourself In a place where you did not escape. Are you following me? Where the rest of the world is. And where America may soon be. The only place that that kind of hope holds to. Is in a place that is not being tested by fire. And this is why I want to tell you. That sword. Sword. Or famine or fire or let the dogs eat you to death because they wrapped you in something that the dogs like the taste of. If we find ourselves there, in that moment, this gospel holds for you even when the beasts tear at your flesh because you will be raised whether you escape it or whether you die in the pit of it. But if you live your lives thinking that you will never endure because your hope is in escaping it, then what if the fire's come, Church? This is why' I'm nervous as I would be about it, because I stand here, and I, I think about my kids, right? I think about my kids, and I think about what 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now is going to look like for us. We need a church that will stand for Him, because we know that He will raise us from the dead. If we are those who sleep, He will bring us that day to be united with those who remain victorious. Victorious He comes. So always we find the gospel being given to people and then telling them because of the gospel, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And there's a beautiful thing that I want us to see in the truth here. I want you to go back before... This is for personal study. Go back before the fall. And I want you to see a very interesting truth that some of you may not be aware of. But work... Itself was not the result of the fall. Go read it for yourself. God made man to work. He made us for that. And I want you to know that the work that you do is not in vain, right? The gospel hope, the bodily resurrection hope that we have says what you do in this life matters because it's not going to be erased. It has eternal repercussions. Everyone that you speak to matters. Everyone that you don't matters. The way that... You the way that you join yourself in sin with others matters. What you do in the body matters. It matters. It matters. So now let's flip over now. And I want us to flip. I'm going to have to take a sip of water as y'all get there. We're going to look at the Gospel. So now we, we see that our picture that we should be looking at, thinking of our hope, is who? Christ. It is Christ. So now I want us to look at some things that we can see of Christ after the resurrection, right? So your hope is in a body like Christ. Follow? You will be raised in a body like Christ. Agreed? So let's go to Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to read this quickly, pointing out things along the way. 24 verse 13. Y'all follow with me. I know this is going to be, they're going to get shorter after this. I want, I'm, y'all are, y'all are like some champions. Y'all hold on. Like that was an hour and a half last week. And I don't know what time we're at, but it's, it's quite possible this one may go longer than that. And I want to say thank you. One, I'm not trying to waste your time. Two, you will remain. Three, God will sanctify. Four, right? This is worth it. What we're doing is worth every bit of the effort that goes into it. So I want to say I want to say thank you as a church just for that. As we go there, right? So chapter 24 of Luke verse 13. This is Christ after the resurrection. So I want us to look and examine what we can see about Christ after the resurrection. That very day Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were walking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So I want to point out two things here. Jesus is walking. Right? Jesus is walking. That's what bodies do. Right? So I want us I want us to point out, I want us to see that. Some of the things that we may consider mundane, we will do. Because there's some that don't walk. Right? That's, that's that's mundane to you. Right? But like I say, find the lame and the cripple. Right? What was the lesson on this morning? Right? The lame and the cripple come in. Jesus is walking in His new body. There will be those who don't walk who walk. Right? Truth. Truth, because you will have a body. You missed out on nothing here. There, uh, is there is there anyone who literally can't walk? You miss out on nothing because for eternity you will walk with Christ. These are things, and this is going to be how kind of the pattern that we look at as we dig through this. Look at the little things and the hope that we find in these little things. Right? Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So number one. He was recognizable, right? Another thing to draw from this text: their eyes had to be kept from recognizing him, which means he was recognizable. The people who knew Jesus, if they saw Jesus, would be like, "That's Jesus right there." What does that tell us about the bodies that we will have? You're gonna look. You're you're gonna look, and you'll be like, "You know, that looks like Landon, right?" I'm gonna see my wife there, and be like. Beautiful. Right? Like you're gonna see me. Marius. I didn't know I was gonna be here. You will see your son. And you will recognize him. The hope that you have. The hope that you have is that all? I will see my daughter and I will know her. Who's lost? I know that many of you, but you will see them. You have hope. You will know who they were. You will know them. This is the hope that we have. This is the clear hope that we have just by looking at the little things in Scripture. And He said to them, So he he spoke. These are little things, I know. These are little things, I know, but we're going to speak with one another. We're going to have conversations with one another. So let's follow on. And he said to them, What is the conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, uh, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened? There in these days, and he said to them, What, what things? Now, Jesus playing games, man. <laughs> now, this just came to me. Okay. <laughs> we may play games in glory. We may have a good time there. Right? That's a small little thing there, man, but there's a, that's small. <laughs> Jesus is like, What? Right, follow it. What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him out to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So where was their hope? Where was their hope? Their hope was in something real. Do y'all follow me? And we're going to see this again later. When Jesus is ascending, the last thing that His people say to Him is, is now the time for your kingdom to come. They had not given up hope on that. Do you follow? Do you follow that the resurrection had happened? They not given up hope. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't shut them down. We're going to see that. We're going there. And I want you all to follow with me as we we dig into this. I want you to see that Jesus doesn't shut down that hope. Because the kingdom's coming. The kingdom's coming. The king is coming. Alright, so let's follow along. So we see here, they hope that, that it was now. So they just get their timing off. This is what I want you to get. That the hope is always something real. The hope is always a real thing. A kingdom with the king. That is the hope, and that's just that they got it a little ahead of themselves, right? This is what I want us to see. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. And they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels. So a small thing that I want to point out here is that these people can distinguish the difference between visions... And something real. Like they're not looking at Jesus being like, oh snap, do you see the glowy glow? Right? Do you see like the whole like halo thing that he's got going, right? They know the difference. They know the difference. They did not see a vision. What happened at the res- in the resurrection was not a group hallucination, right? It was real. It was something real. And it was something that brought so much hope to them. This is the crazy thing about the resurrection. It's central to the fact that they believed that He came back from the dead, that they changed the way that they acted in the world. Right? Like, What you got when you can't kill me? Oh, death. When we can say that death, where is your victory death? Where is your staying? Like when they understood that their hope was in Christ and is in a resurrection, this life was just pushing forward to there. This life was just pushing forward to there. So, verse 24. Some of us who were, uh, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women said, but Him they did not see. And He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What is not Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, He interpreted to them all the Scriptures and the things concerning Himself. So I want to stop here. I want to see that Jesus is teaching about what took place to these people after the resurrection. I want you to think of Christ pouring out the truth to His people in eternity of who He is. Right? And I want you to get this. I want you to get this, because there's... Tell me this. Is Scripture going to disappear when we get to heaven? Like, is God's Word going to fail to be His Word? Right? So, are you telling me? And this is why I want to get, like, I want to wreck the way that you, the way that you wrestle with things in this world, the way that you think about attorney and the way that it's going to be, because many of you think that you're going to forget about everything and then you would sit there and tell me that the scripture is going to be there. That we're going to know God's word in heaven. So, everybody's going to forget about all the bad stuff that went down except for David because, check it, it's in there. Right? Right? I mean, follow with me. Uh, Am I thinking out of whack here? Is God's Word going to be God's Word and glory? Is He going to explain to us all that has gone down here, there? And how is He going to do it? What does the Scripture say that He did for them? In beginning with Moses and all the prophets He interpreted to them and all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So I think it would be safe. To say that there, he will do the same for us. And what that what conclusion I come to from that, and y'all tell me if this is off base. The conclusion I come to is that the hope that we have is not contingent upon us forgetting the bad. Are y'all are y'all tracking with me here? if if He can explain Himself to them after the resurrection, starting from Moses, through the prophets, if He can do that, is He not going to do that for us? Is He not going to dig through these things? Is he not going to show us all that He has done? Or is there going to be a wall by which in heaven we can never step past? Right? Many of us, when we think about it, we think that way. And here's the here's the hope. I can't tell you exactly what it is going to look like. Man, I wish I could. But what I want to do is I want to remove for you barriers that hinder your dreams of what eternity will look like. I don't want to place in front of you barriers that need not be there. I want to tell you that God is greater. The gospel is bigger. Your hope exceeds your wildest expectations. And it is in this hope that you will live for Him and not for self. Right? It is in that hope and that hope alone. So I want us, as we dig through these things, just to think about it. And I pray that in this, you, you would start... Thinking and digging into scripture, maybe in, in, in new ways for you, wrestling with things that you've not wrestled with in the past. And, and, and I hope for some of you, open you up to the, just the glorious wonder of what God's Word is. And if we pay attention to even the smallest and most minute of details, how much we can draw for it. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. There he goes again. Right? With his games. Jesus in his trying to fool people. So, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. So I want, I want you to get a picture of this. So look at the gospels, right? And look at the picture post resurrection. And here's something that I want you to look for, right? As you're looking at this, look at how much regular, seemingly mundane and ordinary things take place. And here's what I want here's what I want to get at. They could have told us a lot of things, post-resurrection, right? A couple of the books that say, "Hey guys. If we told you of the wonders that took place, it'd fill a world full of books. And then I look at some of these and I'm like, well, snap, I wish I could have seen something about besides eating some fish. For real? You sat down at the table eating fish and bread? Like, wasn't there more important things that you could tell me? This is a resurrected Christ. Like, show me some huge miracles, right? Show me something grandiose. Give me something to hope in. It's the little things, right? Here's, man, God created, and all that He created, He said it was good. And then we think He's going to just do away with that, and whatever comes next is going to resemble it in no way. I don't think that that's the hope that He's laid out for us, right? Right? But I want to tell you that many of you, when you think of eternity, when you think of glory, you do think of it like it's going to be less than what you have now. And do you know how I know that that's true? Because though we've been through Ecclesiastes, and though we know vanity of vanities, still, don't we so often times treat this life as though it's the precious one? Do we not? Is that not real? When the the hope... that, And maybe we do it. Maybe we do it because somewhere in us we think that what's to come is somehow lesser. And I want you to dream big dreams and hope big hopes because the gospel is greater. The gospel is so much bigger. You will eat... I want you to follow me here. I want you to follow me here. Why is it? Why is it that we get pictures of eating? How else to know that you're real, right? Now I've got an imagination, <laughs> and I've watched some movies about ghosts. Most of the time now, they're probably not you know accurate representations. Okay, most of the time when they eat, what happens? Did that happen when Christ ate? So Christ eats. Does he choke? Does he choke up? He's like, oh, I got no throat. It doesn't, this new resurrection body doesn't work like that. He eats. They make mention of this in multiple gospels. And in a couple of them, multiple times. To tell us that he has a real body. A real body that can eat bread and fish. And here I am to tell you, we, me and Adrian went to, out on a date last night and we went by Krispy Kreme and Lord help me if the person that started Krispy Kreme ain't saved man, I'm gonna have to get that recipe before I die because there will be glazed Krispy Kreme in heaven. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you will eat. And enjoy in heaven. The promises that Jesus makes to his disciples when they're at the Last Supper, and he's like, Not again till there. Not again till there. S- for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we have so hyper spiritualized those truths that we think that that represents something that we would find in Daniel or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Revelation. And the truth is, is that that's a real. Hope that you have. You will eat and drink at the table with Christ. There will be a great reunion day. Right? A real hope. A big hope. This is what I want us to see. This is what I want us to see as we dig through this. So when we see mundane things about Jesus eating. Right? So he's eating. And then in verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Right, and they go on and they tell them the story and the story that they, they tell and they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So when they're recounting the experience they had with Christ to others, what do they say? Well, they're telling them about the breaking of bread, right? Walking, talking, real life Jesus. In the flesh. In the flesh. Right? So let's let's go on again. So let's flip over now. We're going to look at another example in one of the Gospels. Again, I just want to ask you all, bear with me. Please bear with me. Um, I, like I say, I, I, I do not want to overrun my welcome. But I want to point out to you the hope that we have in the resurrection. Because this is a central... Central hope. So we're gonna start in John chapter 20. We're gonna look starting at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. So here's one thing that I want to point out. She knows the difference. Right? She knows the difference in an angelic being and a being that looks normal. Right? She knows the difference. It's going to be critical as we go on. In white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain on the one uh, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. So just a small little thing. Right? Here's, here's what I want us to see about this resurrected Christ, right? Because when we see it, we look at it and tend to look at it through prophetic visions of the end time. Right? And here's what I want to tell you that we can see clearly historically is that she didn't even recognize who he was. Do you know why? She was not looking for him. Right? She was not looking for him. So he could be mistaken. Like he's not like floating around, fluttering. Like I'm thinking if she turns and she sees this glowing angelic being, she'd know the difference. But she looks and she thinks he's a gardener. What does that tell us? That he has a real body. Right? I can tell the difference between an angel. And I know they don't look like gardeners, right? I know they don't get mistaken for gardeners. So let's continue on and see what takes place. So she didn't know that it was Jesus. Verse fifteen: Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" And then again, like he's talking to, supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, "Sir, if you had carried him, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away." Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned. So she was apparently like, she sees this guy over the corner and and she's like, you know, I, I see him. He doesn't look angelic, so I'm not frightened by the appearance of him. And she's like, and she's distressed. And he's like, Mary! Mary! Like, look over here. See what's taking place. And she looks. And who does she see? She sees Jesus. And what is she? She knows him. Again, little things. He is knowable. He's in a body that is a real body that could be easily mistaken for a gardener. This is true historic fact. It happened. This is what we know about Him. And she said to Him, Sir, if you've carried Him away, tell me where you've laid Him and I will take Him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to Him in Aramaic, I, which is teacher. And Jesus said to her, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. What is he saying here? What is all of the hope that we find for every single person that was a follower of Christ in the New Testament? Why was the cross such a crushing thing for them? Because their hope was for the promises of God being fulfilled that the King would come. Right? And Jesus did not fit the bill for them. This is what makes the events, the historic events of the church so amazing is because they were not anticipating it coming in the way that it did. And when it does, it bursts forth in power onto a world. And it's carried forth by people who said there was a man who died that really came back to life. And they said, now I don't get everything about that body. But one thing that I know is that I know Him. And I know the difference. And He's raised from the dead. The hope that we have is in the resurrection. So don't cling to me. Why is why is he saying don't cling to me? Is this because he's got something like, I don't want you to get the magic fairy dust, right? Like you may get this and just be like fluttering around, like don't touch me yet, i got to go there. He, he's telling them the same thing that he's telling everybody that's like, oh man, watch out. Here we come, Rome. Here we come. We're about to do this thing right now. You can't kill him, y'all see. You cannot kill this man. You can't kill him. It's time. It's time. And what is he, what is he doing? He's like, look, don't, don't cling. Don't cling because I've not gone yet. I'm going and I'm coming back. Don't cling, right? Don't cling. This is the kind of picture that I want us to see going on here. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he said these things to her on the evening of the day, uh, that, uh, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, ca- Jesus came and stood uh, and said to them, Peace be with you. So one thing that I want to say here just quickly, because you're like, oh, snap. Every single one of you just thought Jesus passing through doors and stuff like that. Like, this is not saying that the doors are locked and there was no way to get in. And this is not saying, like, that he's passing through walls, so the body that he has is not here passing through anything. That's not what's in the text. It is oftentimes what we will read out of the text, but that is not directly what is said in the text. What is said in the text is that the doors were locked, Jesus came in. Right? Or the the doors were locked and Jesus was among them. There is multiple ways that are that are non-over spiritualized that this uh could take place. Right? So then the disciples uh and he and he said this to them, he showed them, uh, and when he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. So I want us to see in verse twenty that when Jesus comes on to the scene uh, and he sees them, what does he do? He shows them his hands. In eternity, what do you think they call them? Like when now I don't want to go over into Revelation, but I think you know the Lamb that was slain, right? The lamb that was slain. And again, I want you to see a gospel that is bigger than a gospel that you have to forget what he did, right? Know that. Know that to be true. Know that to be true. And Jesus said again to them, verse 21, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the reason that he's going is because there's work that is to be done here. Now, verse 24, we're going to skip on down This is the Thomas episode. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord again. What do we see here in the text? They see Him. They see Him. This is a physical thing. This is light bouncing off of Him, reflecting into their eyes, them recognizing who He is. And He said to them, but He said to them, Unless I see His hands... The mark of the nails placed my finger and the mark of the nails the places and, and placed my hand into his side I will never believe. Eight days later the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he said uh, and when and then said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is a body that you can touch and feel, right? Follow me here. This is a real resurrection body. Our hope is in something real. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Uh, for brevity, let's jump down again. Verse Verse one of chapter twenty one after Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberius, and the disciple, uh, he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathan of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, "I am going fishing, and he said to him, "We will go with you," and they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught, they caught nothing just as day was breaking. Jesus stood on the shore. And the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Again, we see one of these cases where you look out and they see, and it's not this angelic being, right? It's a real guy. It's the guy that they knew. It's the guy that was put on the cross, laid in the grave, came back to life. It's Jesus, right? It is Jesus that they see. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, "'Children, do do you have any fish?' They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself... End of the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging that full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse nine. When they got into the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to him, "Bring some of the fish that you've caught." So, what's going on here? Again, it seems very mundane, but this is a big deal. This shows us that he was real and not a hopper spiritualized existence the hope that we have is for something real it is for something real so simon peter went aboard and hauled the, and hauled the net ashore full of large fish 153 of them and although there were so many the net was torn jesus said come and have breakfast now one of the disciples not one now none of the disciples dared to ask him who are you they knew it was the lord jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish and they had And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. And he goes on there. And what you see time and time again as we examine the Gospels is a body that can be touched. A body that can be seen. A body that looks much like the bodies that we have, yet imperishable. Yet imperishable. Death has lost its sting, right? So now we're going to flip over to Acts, and we're on the home stretch now. Uh, So when this is Acts chapter 1, verse... Six Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, this is the ascension, this is Jesus going, and then what's next, right? Jesus goes, the gospel goes out, and we're in this state, right? The gospel is going out, all of our hope in Christ returning, right? So this is, I want us to kind of paint that picture. So then... This is verse 6, chapter 1 of Acts. So then they had come together and they asked him, Lord, will, it, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And I want to tell you, and I, guys, I know, man, this has been long, and and I apologize for it just being long, um, but I want us to get all of this in one view because I want you to get how solidly founded in the resurrection your hope is, right? Your hope is in that you will walk Talk, live, touch, feel, experience this man who died for you and was raised again. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What were they hoping for? They were hoping for something real. They were hoping for something real, church. I think somewhere along the way, maybe we've lost our hope for that something real, and it's become something else. Right? And you can say it ain't true, but if we, if we really had the hope that these guys have for the resurrection, the world would change because of us. Right? This is a world-changing gospel. Right? Not a gospel that wants to get us out of work. Not a gospel that wants something easy. Not a gospel that wants no hard times. This is a gospel that looks those things in the face and says, do what you must, I will rise again. And I know this because my Savior rose from the grave. So we hope, as they hoped, for something real church. Verse 7, He said to them, it is not for you. So He doesn't say it's not going to happen. I want you to get this. He doesn't say it's not going to happen. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the end of the earth. And when they had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And in no way does he there transition from physical to some spiritualized or hyper-spiritualized existence. It could have happened in another way if that's the existence that Christ is in now. Christ lives today in a physical, real body. He lives today in a physical and real body. And there's much of that that I'm like, man, I wish I could explain that to you. Right There's m- many places there that I would step off in my sci-fi mind and go imagining how those things could take place. But the simple truth of Scripture is, is that He did not dematerialize. He rose and went out of sight because the clouds covered Him. And they stood looking on in amazement. Right? They stood looking on in amazement. And while they were gazing into the heaven, verse 10... He went, and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw Him go into heaven. And what is our hope? What is our hope? That Christ will return as as He left. The hope that we have is in a real Physical resurrection. Not a spiritualized, right? Not a hyper-spiritualized. we got to try to make all kinds of excuses as to just how that couldn't be the case. Christ had a real body. You will be raised to life. Real people. And I'm going to say you're going to be raised to life even more real than you could ever imagine. Right? Because, see, we live in bodies that have come from our Father... Adam and they hinder and hold to us so many different ways I'm 33 and already I can feel time catching up with me I can't I'm 33 man and I love working out and I can feel even at 33 I can't do the things that I used to do this body is breaking down right some of you know that so so well I'm going to tell you that there you will run as you never ran here. It's real. The hope that you have is real. You are kings and you are queens in eternity. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians. So we leave the picture that we have Christ ascending. The hope that we have of Him returning. Right? In the meantime, if you die, you are in His presence. Right? The hope that all of us hope for is in a final resurrection. And I want to tell you that when Christ comes the next time, He's coming Bringing the dead to life in real bodies to rule this earth. This is His earth. right? And He will remake it and reform it and perfect it. But He will not say that was not good because it was very good. Six days go by Church, you read, read Genesis, six days go by, the close of every day. It is good, it is good, it's good. The fall of man happens. I want you to go read this. This is for homework for you. The seventh day never closes. Christ will usher in week two. I want you to know this to be true. Is that when it's all said and done, when the seventh day ends, it is very very good, even though the fall took place in the minutes of the seventh day, the sun rises, the sun rises, and there's so much hope there's so much hope in that First Thessalonians chapter four verse thirteen, and this is where I'll say. That I may differ from many of you. And I say that when I see Christ again, whether it be me being transformed or me being brought along with him to get my body, that when we come, coming in power, the king is coming home. And when the king comes home, his people go out to meet him. I want you to follow me. When the king comes home, his people rise to meet him, not to run away, to usher him into his kingdom. When the king returns, you will rise. You will be caught up, but not to run away, but to welcome the victor home. This is the picture that I believe this paints for us. But we do not want you to be uniformed, brothers. Uh, uninformed, excuse me, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. And again, all of this is for hope and to to make steadfast hope. And this is why I want to present it to you in this way. And I want us to step back into Romans, and we're just going to kind of read the text in Romans, no digging into it because we have dug into it at the point that we get finished with this. So. And so, uninformed brothers, that those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. So you're going to grieve when you lose people in this life. You're going to grieve and you're going to hurt, but not as others do. Not as those who have no hope, because you have hope, right? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though so through Jesus, God will bring with Him, Those who have fallen asleep. So I want you to get this picture that when Jesus returns, He brings with Him. He doesn't go, He doesn't come back to take away, but He comes and He's bringing with Him. This is what the text says. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you. By a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They rose because He brought them with Him. Right Now, verse 17, When we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. I want to tell you what this does not say. It does not say anywhere in this text that He takes us away. It tells us that we will be with Him. Right? So here's what happens. So oftentimes we have a a, a particular view, and when we read the text, that view gets pressed into the text. Right? So when we read this, because the hope is, and here's the thing, it's a real hope. Like none of us want to be tried by fire. Right? So we'll say, well, I would love to escape it, and we live in a world in which most of the trials and tribulations of this world for at least a 200-year bubble. And I want to tell you that 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 dispensationalism and pre-tribulation rapture is about 200 years old when you look at the history of the church. When you look at the history of the church, thousand plus years that nobody preached that. Nobody could preach it. Do you understand that? That for the large majority of church history, and for many, and for many who are alive in the world today, if you preach to them this, that in the end you will escape the trials and troubles and calamities and persecution to come... They'll laugh at you and say, "Go back to your padded pews." Tell that to somebody in the middle of China who knows the truth of the tribulation now, right? Tell that to the men who ISIS chopped their head off. You escape what? Well, got no hope for escape. Then the gospel is greater than you needing to escape, and this is what I want to tell you. This is what I want to tell you. This is why this kind of thing is... Look at this. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. Who? Those who have died with Christ in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Who needs to be encouraged with hope? Who needs to be encouraged with hope? Those who would escape it, or those who would be in the midst of persecution. And I want to tell you, when we look at Romans, and we're going to flip back there now, and this is why I say that the gospel is so much bigger, this, this book is written and sent just few years before the heaviest and most disgusting persecution that has ever come upon the church. It was at Rome. And the hope that they needed was not that they would escape, but they would be quickened on that day. Don't, don't we want that same hope? Don't you want to know that the gospel in which you've placed all your hope, if that day comes, you stand firm. The gospel says you will. The gospel says you will. And you can hope and hold. To the end, because when he comes as king, you will be as he is. And you will have lost absolutely nothing here. And you will say with Paul, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Go read Genesis. God subjects the world to futility because of the fall of man. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. It was not man who subjected it. Man rebelled. God subjected it. But He did it in hope. That's what the end of verse 20 there says. In hope. All that God is doing. I want you to see that we're pushing forward to a truth that should overwhelm us. All that God is doing is pushing us to hope. That the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption. So here I want you to see creation renewed. Creation restored. Not done away with, but set free. Right? The creation hopes for us because its hope is found in us. God made us and put us to work in the, in the early chapters of Genesis or put Adam to work, excuse me. Right? Work is a part of and is a good thing. It's a very good thing. And it will be, we will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. I want you to know that this is your hope, and in this you are saved. Now hope is seen, a hope that is seen, it is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And I want you to know, church, and we're going to close with this, that your hope is greater than you could have ever imagined. The Gospel is greater. The Gospel is bigger. Your King reigns and your King will return And you will live with your King for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your many wonderful blessings, Lord. Um, I thank You for Your church, and I thank You for the patience that they have for You. Lord, there are many places that I would get run off. Um, There are many places that people would not be so patient. so, Lord, I just want to thank You for them. Um, I pray that they can see in me uh, a genuine desire for their spiritual growth. And I pray that in all these things they would see a hope that is so much greater. Lord, when I when I, when I read last Sunday night, after they said, who, who sits through an hour and a half, Lord? Who sits for for an hour and a half and then I get home and, and I read the struggles? My church faces and I, and I think I know who I know who sits f- for hours It's people that want hope and, and, I, and i I pray I pray that your holy Spirit would do a work for your people and for your for your glory. Lord, I thank you for Christ I thank you for the hope that we have. In him Lord, as unworthy as I am, and as error prone as I am, and as arrogant as I am, I pray that your word would land heavy on our hearts and have an effect that would make us fearless for you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that you came back and that's real. That's real.